Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Resonance Test. I'm your host, Kenji Ross from EPAM Continuum. As a human-centered designer, it's not a stretch for me to say that people make the difference in an organization. Obvious, right? When you talk about what's needed for modern companies to thrive, it's easy to get caught up in abstracts. We need new tech, we need upskilling, we need a growth mindset. But products don't create a path to a corporate future state, and services don't create a sustainable organization. Fortunately for Liberty Mutual, they have Rick Champagne. As AVP and talent advisor, he thinks hard about how to align people, smart, multifaceted, flawed, real human people, with an organization on the move. And he tells us all about it in this conversation with Sandra Laughlin, the managing principal of EPAM's learning advisory practice. Being around for over 100 years, as Liberty Mutual has, can easily lead to stagnation, but Rick tells us it's important to keep the company nimble, to be agile with a small a, to build a culture that values learning at any age or skill level. And in the past year of pandemic, they've seen earlier investments in mentorship and workplace flexibility pay off in spades. They've built out new upskilling programs, learned to be relaxed in both workplace context and in dress codes, and are giving employees new ways to contribute to the company culture with ideas like reverse mentorship programs. Let's listen in and learn how a growth mindset has grown. Rick, it's so great to talk with you again. Um, I'm excited to connect with you and, and discuss a little bit more about the, the role of people in, in transformation. Um, so thanks for joining. Glad to be here, Sandra. Thanks so much for inviting me. Of course. Um, let's start at the beginning. So can you talk just a little bit about your current role at Liberty Mutual and how you got there? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's hard to believe that I've, uh, looking back, spent half of my career with one company. I think early in my career, I moved often, looking for the next best thing, as we often do um, when we're younger. Um, not really what was most important to me was really making a difference through meaningful work and, and really having that sense of purpose in what I did. So as I reflect on my time at Liberty, the, the past 10 years were spent really on our personal line side of our business, partnering with leaders and uh, our, our customer-facing roles. Um, then about three years ago, uh, Liberty transformed the way it delivered um, talent services to the organization. At that time, I moved over to supporting a business uh, tech organization as well as our global cybersecurity teams. So not only was I working in a new way uh, in the new talent service delivery model, um, but the tech org was actually going through its agile transformation at the time. I, I recall back to three years, there was no shortage of learnings in the experience uh, from my learning a new role, but also leading an organization through change itself. And those opportunities continue to remain on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that's um, there's a lot of a lot of us in the people space. Uh, we're never trained for this, so it's kind of interesting. We're we're trying to lead transformation at the same time. We're transforming our own skill sets and and knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I've learned uh, through success and failure that we don't always have the answers, but we'll walk the path with our leaders. So yeah. Well, tell me. Um, and I, I know what I love about the work that I do. I'm really curious to hear what do you love most about the role that you're you're in and in, um, in supporting transformation. What I love most is 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 really the people that I work with and, and the problems we get to solve on a daily basis. Um, and I think about the work in front of us um, and really transforming our organization to meet the needs of the future. Um, as you know, the customer demands keep growing every day. So how do we as a tech org prepare organization to meet those demands as well? So it's really finding purpose and meaning in that work 
that really drives my passion for what I do. And that brings me, I guess, to my my first like really kind of core question here, which is, you know, you, you mentioned customers. What do you view as the major challenges in aligning uh, skills with your digital and tech strategy? Yeah, as, as I mentioned, you know, uh, we all know as consumers that we want more, better, faster for less money. Um, and, and then how do we as an organization deliver those those capabilities to our internal partners and then our external co- partners? Um, like most companies that have been around over 100 years, we have our share of legacy systems and technologies. Um, but at the same time, uh, we're, we're beckoned or required to provide that better, faster at a lower cost, which really requires us to invest in newer technologies, and with that comes the need for developing and acquiring talent for that work. Um, I think the supports that are needed are really multifaceted. Um, it really requires a workforce that is, is curious and engaged in learning of new technologies. It requires an organization uh, that's that identified and, and really, really thinking about the skills of the future and initiatives and developing programs to reskill and upskill their current teams. And it, and it requires everyone um, to have that growth mindset to consider what's possible and not being afraid of getting it wrong as, as learning exists there as well. So in, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the, in the softer stuff, right? Especially this idea of growth mindset. We all know how fundamentally important it is to have a workforce that is accustomed to and, and almost excited about this constant change and evolution um, of the industry. What have you found is, uh, you know, the most successful approach to developing growth mindset? Yeah, I, I think going back, it, it's, it's. I think if there's a silver bullet out there, we haven't found it yet, but I think it's a, a multi-pronged approach. It, it's really working with people to help them understand that they can do what they seemed, what seemed was impossible or not possible, um, that we all have the ability to grow um, in new skills. And, 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 and oftentimes, it's a requisite for, for future future employment, right, in many ways. So we want our people to be inspired. We want them to be engaged. We want them to learn new things and to be with us for a long time. We have a very loyal workforce with Liberty, uh, and we want to continue that through the years. And the best way to do that is to help people realize that they can do things differently. They can grow, especially folks who may be working on that legacy technology. Um, um, how do we shift that mindset to allow them to think about the new possibilities and working with newer technologies. Yeah. So in addition to growth mindset and all the kind of um, the people related things, like the technical, the hard skills, if you will, are, are so important. I'm really curious. I know a lot of our clients struggle with identifying exactly what skills they should be targeting so that their workforce is prepared in the next two to three years for the changes that we can at least kind of predict right now. How of curiosity, like, how do you know what skills to target? Where do you identify those and, um, and how do you kind of communicate those to the business? Yeah. So, so over the past year, we actually embarked upon uh, uh, looking at the skills of the future for our software engineering roles in, in the company. And really, it started out with kind of where we are today and what were the skills that were important for people to know. So to create that baseline of what expectations exist across the company for people in these types of roles, which is really our highest incumbent role in the tech space um, that was developing code. We also then pivoted to looked at what are the skills needed in the future and really talk to our leaders in the organization and what skills and, and tools are they looking at purchasing, buying, um, leasing 
from a tech space and whether it's APIs, moving more work to the cloud, what are the skills they'll need to complete that work in front of them? And then what is that path to get from the current state today um, to the future state? And then partnering with our tech learning services and, and creating that path for people so they clear the, see the clear, clear linkage between where they are today and where they need to be tomorrow. And the last piece of that is, is really comes down to the, the basics. It's really partnering with their leaders on development planning. Um, so with those pieces in place, it really helps them think about where they are today, where they need to go toward in the future. And then, and then the last piece of that is really how are we doing in that space? And again, partnering with our tech learning services organization really created a, a great dashboard to measure learning. Are we being successful in this space? Are people consuming more technology? And what are they consuming? And what are the asks? Which really helps us pave that path um, should we need to be nimble and change directions. Yeah, and I think that uh, the nimbleness and direction change is, is kind of baked into this just fast-paced, constantly moving space. Um, how, you know, what mechanisms have you guys put in place to ensure that the skills that you're targeting continue to evolve? You know, do you have a, a cadence of skill reviews? Um, you know, tell me a little bit more about how you're ensuring that your skill targets are evolving with your business challenges. Yeah, absolutely. So again, our tech learning services organization is awesome. And they really set up a cadence where we as talent partners uh, meet with the business to understand the needs on a monthly basis to make sure one, what the service is providing today meet the needs, but also looking to the future to say, what is the skills you'll need in the future? So that we, we can start looking at opportunities and programs and, and to help align that with our strategy go forward. Um, and, and then get that on the board for a uh, uh, curriculum for people to learn. With COVID, obviously, that's been a lot of virtual learning these days. And how do we make that experience be the best for them? Um, and then lastly, um, it also allows the employee, when the tools we've used and employed, benchmark where they are. So employees can come in and take an assessment of where they need to start for learning. It plots them on a, on a, a graph and it says you are at the 20th percent in proficiency in this space. And it tells them a starting point to learn so they don't have to go through the basics if they already know that. And then the back end, it gives us a sense of how people are progressing in their learning. Are people learning more as a result of um, spending time in this space? So I can, I'm just imagining myself taking some sort of assessment and finding that I know 20%. I think that would, would freak me out a little bit. Um, how do you find that people are responding to this? You know, are you, is that sufficient to get everyone incentivized or, or feel like they need to invest their time in learning? Um, right. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, how do you, like now that you know what skills you need, how do you ensure that people are in fact getting those skills? Yeah, such a great question. So when I think about how people uh, assess themselves, it's really a self-assessment and it's a self-score. So that score is blind to the manager or leader because it's really around development, right? And we don't want it to be a, a pain point for people, but really an encouragement for them to say, okay, you have mastered 20% of this content. You can now start one-fifth the way into the program. So it helps them level set on, on kind of what the level of knowledge they have or capabilities they have in a certain space. And, and then it hopefully it incents them to learn more. Uh, we have seen that people who uh, people's scores have actually increased because we looked at, at that data in aggregate. So we're not going back to people and saying, oh, you scored a 20%. It's really a, a confidential or kind of a personal matter where people scored. But we want to see the trend in which people are growing and developing through using learning resources. Um, 
there are different ways to incentivize them. And again, another space where we haven't mastered the silver bullet, um, but it's really, um, it's through challenges, learning challenges. It's through um, reskilling programs. It's through um, uh, um, incentivizing teams if they learn, need to learn a new technology, getting a cohort together and, and spending time together learning that technology and spending time to, to bounce ideas and, and brainstorm together um, in learning. That's that's really fantastic. The examples that you've provided, I I know that so many um, companies are are really struggling with this issue. You know, I think the the data are are kind of kind of startling, I suppose, and and sad in that you know companies spend you know billions of dollars every year to upskill their people and, and help them learn, but they're not always seeing that ROI. Um, you know, what advice would you give to you know, your, your um, partners, your, your peers, um, in terms of helping their employees really take ownership of their learning and, and access those resources that you've provided? Yeah, I think from a talent space, we've taken a page from the tech playbook and not having to worry about getting it all right or suffering from the plague of perfectionism. But it's really what's the MVP look like and test and learn. And what do you learn from that example of um, introducing learning curriculum? Um, what are people liking? And it's actually going out to people and asking how they best learn, right? So it's really understanding the voice of the customer. How do they best learn? Uh, understanding the needs of the business and technology understanding learner preferences and, and, and marrying all of those up together. And that hopefully is the sweet spot of people's desire to, to move forward in, in learning a new curriculum or skill or, or a capability. Um, Have you, um, you know, we, I think we've talked in this program certainly um, in the past about the difference between um, intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. I'm really curious to know if you know, at Liberty, you've had any experience with extrinsic motivation for learning? And, and if so, you know, what did it look like and, and how did it go? Yeah, so so some of the things we've done for those extrinsic motivators, um, and, you know, part of our tagline is people feel best to do their best work when they feel safe and secure. So we hope that intrinsic motivator is set. Um, but as you turn to the extrinsic motivators, we do have learning challenges um, whereby certain groups, and for instance, our cybersecurity team does this often, where uh, we try to have a, a, there's a contest by which people can take certain curriculum and courses and be entered for a drawing for a, a recognition award. So it does provide some extrinsic motivation. Um, obviously, there are extrinsic motivators and people learning new skills to be promoted through the organization. Um and, and many of our larger incumbent populations, we have those skills maps. So it really articulates where people are today, um, where they need to go in the future to get to that next level so they can plot out their path and course for growth and development, but also realize career progression at the same time. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I think that I've heard other companies who have used these learning challenges and, you know, it seems kind of you would think maybe that adults wouldn't be kind of excited about some of these awards but some of them really are um it's it's funny <laughs> um we like to think as adults that we're you know we're very different from little kids but in some ways all of us like those those gold stars yeah. um, in, in certain ways yeah deep down inside i think we have that level of competitiveness that exists and uh it's winning that award it's getting your name up recognized at a town hall meeting as the one of the people who contributed and then also being the winner of that that uh, prize so uh, it's it's it does serve as a good motivator <laughs> it's funny how people are so complex and and, and yet sometimes so simple <laughs> yes um 
So I would like to talk a little bit more about some of the other um, supports. So we know, right, learning happens when you have the right opportunities and then the right support structures. I'm really interested in, in understanding a little bit more um, about how you incorporate mentorship and, and peer coaching, maybe even reverse mentorship at Liberty. It's a great topic, and I think it's probably even more timely um, as we've gone through this pandemic, um, especially as we've onboarded in uh, people to the company or onboarded people to new roles. Um, mentorship has been a critical component of that, and having that buddy system to help people um, succeed and navigate the new ways of an organization or a department or a team. So that's been one way that's really helped. Um, we've also done mentoring where we have had leaders, um, the CAOs, two of my clients who I support, have actually uh, have reverse mentoring relationships with teams of people in the organization to better understand what's helped them grow and learn. Um, but it's a learning uh, not only for the people being mentored, but the people who are providing the mentorship. So uh, it really has been insightful for them, and uh, we plan on continuing that for 2021. That's so great. Um, you know what? You know, if you could have uh, try to, well, in my experience, at least the uh, getting mentors is a little bit harder than getting mentees. What message do you convey to these potential mentors to encourage them to engage? Yeah, so really for us, it's been part of our talent strategy and how do we continue to develop and groom top talent in the organization and help them uncover maybe blind spots, challenges, obstacles that may be in their way for further development. So it's really incumbent upon us as leaders to, to do the right thing and to step up and be that, that, um, that sounding board, the one that provides some insights and helps uncover insights for individuals to see that these are the things that need to be worked on to get to the next level. And these programs have really sat the ones that I've worked with have really set at the more senior levels so that we are really grooming um, and creating a space for more senior leaders in the organization um, by addressing some of the challenges they may have or blockers or impediments to getting to that next level. So it's really been encouraging to see the growth in people um, having gone through this for the past year and people showing up differently as a result. Now, that's that's really exciting. I, I know that you know, as you had said, kind of in the in the wake of this global pandemic, there's been a, you know, because we have fewer opportunities to meet in person, there really has been an explosion of mentorship. And I think it's one of the most exciting things that has come out kind of in the learning space um, um, from this crisis that we're all, I guess, still in and, and probably will be for a while. Is there anything else that, you know, you guys have had the opportunity to to do differently or better because of the pandemic? Yeah, I think it's really being a lot more thoughtful about people. Uh, I mean, the conditions in which they work. Um, you know, none of us expected a year ago that we'd all be sitting at home working from our living rooms, some in our kitchens, some with dogs in the background, some daycare issues. So it's really meeting people where they are and being flexible about how they do their work. Um, and that has been challenging at times, but it, but it's okay to have the dog in the background or the kid crying, But because we all know we're human, right? And, and people need to feel comfortable that they can get their, done in the, and get their work done in a way that's meaningful for them and contributes to the organization. So it's really required leaders to think differently about what traditional work looks like. Um, and sometimes that's challenging being a hundred something year old company, right? Uh, where tradition is part of who we are, but we continue to evolve our culture uh, and, and again, be nimble um, and agile, small a, in the times that face us. So I want to kind of touch on this this concept of being a hundred year old company. I work a lot with companies who 
have that same history. Like they've, they've been successful over decades uh, because they've done certain things in certain ways. And now they're facing this challenge of needing to work in different ways. And as you said, little a agile and, and many other ways. Um, Liberty, I know, has been very successful in in making this shift. What what advice would you give, or what what lessons have you learned um, in taking a legacy organization with such a strong and powerful history of success, and and getting people to think differently about the future? Yeah, I think Liberty uh, leadership has done a great job, and over the past several years, even before the pandemic, about thinking about things differently. Um, and, and just a sign value of that, I remember showing up to the office in, in a full suit every day. Um, we went to a dress code that was relaxed for the summertime and adopted that. So it's not uncommon to see people in jeans um, walk in the hallways. I remember commuting to Boston on the train and you knew who worked where in financial services based on the suits they're wearing. Um, today, that's not true. Um, so uh, it's just a small cultural change. Um, we've also been challenging people to take more risk and to be innovators. Um, we can't be that 100-year-old company and compete in today's marketplace by doing the same old things. And I think that would be true for us as individuals. Uh, we can't expect to go to the next level on the skills that we've had from the past. So it's really challenging ourselves. Um, and our leaders have done a great job in doing that to think about what is possible. Why can't we change that? What's holding us back? Because um, we really need to be relevant for the future um, for our not only our policyholders, but our people. I think, yeah, risk taking, I, I know, is one of the biggest challenges that organizations are facing. It's it's hard, you know, for the big company, but also for the individuals to to try something new. What if you fail? Um, you know, what 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 mechanisms or supports have you put in place to really not encourage failure, but I guess encourage a flexibility and and a focus on learning lessons from things that don't go perfectly well the first time. Yeah. Um, within, within one of my clients group, client groups, uh, w the leadership team created the six-pager. It really talks about talent, and it really thinks about and challenges people to think differently um, and innovatively and to take challenges. Um, and, and we really feel that um, failure is often inextricably tied to learning, and, and oftentimes out of failure comes rich learning. Um, so we're not going out there intending to fail, but what did we learn from that? Um, what did we learn from those mistakes? What can we apply differently next time? Um, and obviously, it's not being haphazard about the, the risks we take, but it's being thoughtful about them, right? Um, and it's also part of how we build code, too. It's MVPs, right? This works. That doesn't work. Let's change this. It's, it's, it's that test and learn philosophy about trying things and being okay with it not working and then leaving it on the table or putting it back on the shelf. So we have to get more comfortable with that, and that is challenging because we're used to being perfectionists at times. Right. And you guys are in the insurance business. So risk is, you know, something that you try to mitigate all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Being in the insurance world, uh, we, we like to fully understand the risk before we, we engage on it. Um, so for us, it can be more challenging at times to take that risk. Um, but I think as an organization, uh, we've come light years in that space. That's, uh, that's so exciting. And that's really one of the reasons that I was excited to talk to you today. I know how much you all have done. I guess in, in kind of summing up, um, Tell me a little bit, just I guess maybe for your colleagues or for your peers, you know, when when they're facing transformation, how do you recommend that they approach it from the human side? 
Yeah, transformation and change is all around us. Um, so, it, and it's not it's not going to evaporate anytime soon. And it's just the way of doing business going forward. And I think we're getting more comfortable with that. And I think like all transformation, um, uh, when we communicate what that looks like, we need to be crystal clear on why. Um, which really requires a huge amount of transparency for the organization. You know, I often remind leaders when we announce changes um, that we as a leadership team have been working on these plans for months and have been on this journey. Um, So we really shouldn't expect our people to understand what's happening through one email or team meeting or stand up or town hall. We really need to help people understand the journey we've been on. And we need to help them allow them to take kind of continuous bites at the apple until they fully consume the change. Um, And it's really doing all of the above sometimes even more than once. So people have that chance to digest the mission and vision that we've set out for ourselves uh, and then help them process how they fit into that change and really develop a sense of where they contribute meaningful work um, with purpose and intent. Um, With that said, I really wish it was that simple um, because we know humans are complex as we've already talked about. Rick, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure to talk with you today. I I love hearing about the progress that you and the team at Liberty Mutual have made. And I I wish you all the best as you continue to push forward um, and and, and enable your, your teams to help drive the organization. Thanks so much, Sandra. It's been great to be here today and be part of uh, sharing all the great work happening at Liberty. So thanks again. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. At EPAM Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. Because from our perspective, ideas aren't really innovative until they exist. Thanks are due to our guest Rick Champagne for a transformative conversation. He was interviewed by Sandra Laughlin. Our producer is Ken Gordon. Kip Palalis is our sound engineer, and I'm your host, Kenji Ross. Until the next one, thank you. Thank you.